You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another bone-tingling, exciting episode of Global Trade This Week. I'm Pete Mento, and I am joined yet again by our backup quarterback, Keenan. Um, you're probably wondering why we continue to subject you to this. It's it's simply because we have grown to love and value occasionally Keenan's insights. Um, it, you know, it's, it's like any good organization. You've got to bring you've got to bring the next generation of of professionals up. You've got to give them an opportunity to shine in the hopes that when your opportunity, your time in the sun has passed, that they have that chance as well. So, you know, whatever one of us is sidelined with injury, um, next man up. That's just how it is. And I think, um, I think uh, Doug is where he's like, he's in the, in the Amazon right now. Um, yeah. Somewhere like down in the rainforest. Retreat? An that, that sounds retreat? about right. We'll double check with him yeah. next week, but I think, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, he, well, thanks for the opportunity. Oh, you're very yeah. welcome, Keenan. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> makes me happier than trading barbs with you. I'm kind of upset that there's no, um, there's no Bitcoin opportunity. There's no Bitcoin story for us this week. Yeah, I thought about putting some stuff in there, but it's a little forcing it. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, well, since the latest I, meme on that, latest memes gonna, on that I've seen are that uh, eggs are the new Bitcoin with the price of eggs going up around the country. Well, check. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that um, because I'm old and out of the loop, Keenan. I'd say uh-huh. two weekends ago, I went to the grocery store and I have my little list because I I can't be sent to the grocery store without a list. And on that list, I'm the same eggs. way. And well, you have chickens, so it's not quite you know it's easier for you. But I went to the grocery store and there were no eggs, no eggs. So when I go to the grocery store and there isn't something I was sent to get, I sent a, I sent a picture of the empty shelves to prove that I'm not just full of shit. So I sent a picture of that to Amy and Haston to say, Hey, listen, there's no, there's no eggs. And I don't, I don't even think during the pandemic I ever went to the grocery store and didn't see eggs, buddy. Nope. It's so, uh, kind of wild. You know, I'm how, how, surprised how to hear. Go ahead. How many eggs do your chickens lay? It's a so lot. it does slow I down in the winter, but I get about four or five a day. So more than I consume a day. So I usually have enough to have a stock if we end up making a bunch for people or give some away to friends and neighbors. So feels good uh, having that in stock. But yeah, interesting to hear you had empty shelves as well. I know Colorado was experiencing empty egg shelves. Part of that I heard Colorado passed a law about they have to be free range. And so it's kind of, I didn't know if that was just a specifically close to Colorado type of issue, but it seems like even the regular run of the mill dozen eggs are, are hard to find and get more expensive. Keenan, this is New Hampshire. Okay. We, we don't have rules. You could buy your 15 year old a pistol for his birthday. Like it's, you know. <laughs> so that's why I'm surprised that the yeah. egg stocks just aren't there. Yeah. Demand supply mismatch. But you know what was strange, buddy, is um, I actually, I, I had to stop myself from hoarding. Mm. I really thought about it. I, I was sitting there looking at this shelf of eggs, and I, I really did think to myself, should I just get four dozen? 
But then I thought, what am I going to do with four dozen eggs? It's just, I mean, we will get into this later on in another topic, but I thought the same thing during the pandemic when a barrel of oil was uh, temporarily negative price. I was like, oh man, I should just stock up on this. Where am I going to put it? Who am I going to get it off to? This isn't a practical plan at all. Same thing with eggs with a shelf life. Yeah. Well, you have, uh, you have, you have won the toss and elected to receive. So that's right. The chance with the first topic this week, buddy. Awesome. So kicking off here with some new data from the U.S. Census Bureau, Canada is still the top U.S. trading partner ahead of Mexico. Um, Mexico and Canada are both pretty close right now. Um, it's like $62.4 billion in me- for Mexico as of November um, and 63.4 as of November for Canada. So doing a lot of trade with our neighbors to the north and south. It looks like they're growing at pretty healthy clips, 6%, 5% respectively. Um, you know, it's beating out China on that. And it's just interesting to see some of the factors going on around that. Um, on the good news, our uh, trade deficit is at a low right now, just with us uh, consumers spending a little less, importing a little less, still exporting. Um, lots of industries are still trading and doing their things. It seems like a lot of auto parts and trucks and buses are a big driver of it. Also, something interesting along with this story and along with some of the stories you've been talking about recently, is that uh, China is building their first, I don't know, first, first, but announces a first plant in Mexico, um, this Chinese manufacturer, NOAA iTech. And they make a lot of automation manufacturing equipment bought by companies like GM, which is also looking to expand their Mexico plant for EV production and used by companies like Tesla. And it also sounds like Tesla is just on the verge of announcing to build a factory in Nuevo Leon. So interesting to see as uh, everyone experienced the last couple of years, supply chain disruption, prices got really expensive. Even now, as there's way more capacity on ocean and aircraft um, availability, there are moves now. Some of these supply chain investments, capital investments take a while. There are moves to do the sort of nearshoring that you hear people talk about. I've heard people talk about it for a long time, but looks like we're actually seeing some movement on that. So yeah, any thoughts on Canada being number one temporarily? Mexico's right on their their tail too. And any of that trend on nearshoring or anything around uh, our trade deficit even? Lots and lots of thoughts. So the, the the movement of a lot of companies to Mexico has been, it's it's just been happening for a long time. And big swaths of that have come from, first of all, fear of the theft of intellectual property. So being able to control yep. the insertion of intellectual property into production in Mexico prior to export to the U.S. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, And then second of all, of course, labor has just always been very inexpensive in Mexico. It always has been and continues to be even now with the the change in in the the global platforms of how so much much exporting has been happening in other countries like China. There's been an increase in a race of... um, of a race towards trying to become a more technical uh, export economy. Mexico just hasn't really happened yet. And I'd also say that a lot of that automation that you're seeing that's happening down there, we're beginning to see people build automation in Mexico for export around the world. So that's, that's fascinating to me. Well, the Canadian side, Canada has always been a major trading partner with the United States because of energy. And I think that America was importing a lot of energy because of the lack of Russian uh, 
uh, energy exports. But it wasn't just that. You had a lot of cars being brought to the United States um, through the pandemic, a lot of car parts for manufacturing here, and those were artificially inflated. But the same goes for produce, same goes for wood and lumber, building materials, and that's slowing down. So many American companies were told, board of directors were telling their CEOs and major shareholders, we don't want to be in this position again where we find ourselves unable to produce products, unable to keep our supply chains going because we were we were just too dependent on Asian supply chains. You got to have some balance here. So I think mm-hmm. we're, we're just going to continue to see an investment in um, the USMCA countries. I think you're going to see a continued investment in that supply chain. Um, what I'm worried about, Keenan, and I, I feel like I just, this is a broken record out of me. We need a stronger logistics infrastructure in order to make this just a more compelling argument. It's the congestion is still so terrible. The, um, the roads, the, the rail railways, the ports just aren't good enough through there. Someone needs to put the money into it. What I'm worried about is that it's going to end up being the Chinese. And now the Chinese mm-hmm. are going to have a choke point at the ports, the airports and through the railways. It's not going to matter who's managing the production if we can't get products in and out. Interesting. So in addition to them building factories in Mexico, maybe we'll see some of the things like we've seen with Chinese investment in African ports and that type of logistics infrastructure. We could be seeing some of that. Huh. I'll have to keep an eye out. Interesting. Yeah, it worries me. Indeed. Yeah. So that takes me to my, my first, um, my very first topic. I have not had a job since my first job. Um, when I was Pete at Panel Pina, when I did not have a non-compete. So one of the just standard things in, in this business is, uh, in a lot of businesses, you know, we're not special, but certainly in logistics and the service industry is forcing people in client service, sales, and people in executive roles to sign a non-compete um, in a um it's like a non-poach agreement where for a period of time, you are unable to go after your existing clientele and to go after some of your colleagues for a period of time, whether it's 12 months or 24 months. And for somebody like me, who's fortunate enough to go from consulting to logistics, it's not so bad because I can go from selling customs um, services, like customs entries and logistics to going into consulting where I can sell finance and tax stuff, you know, it's not so terrible. Um, But for most people in our industry, it can really be a financial burden. So you go to work for someone, you work there for 10 or 15 years, you build an incredible book of business. And then for the next two years, let's say, you can't contact anyone that you worked with and you could find yourself being sued. You could find yourself, um, you know, on the, on the wrong end of a subpoena, on the wrong end of a cease and desist because you contacted a former customer or client. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that um, this is in a court case now that it looks like it's going to go to the Supreme Court. And it it's starting to look like it's going to win where it's considered to be unconstitutional to force someone to um, have to adhere to a non-compete because hmm. the individual has a right to make a living. For our industry... This is um, this is a fascinating change because I can only speak for logistics. I'm sure there are other businesses that are a lot like ours, but a salesperson who's been with a company for 10 or 15 years, their relationships, a lot of their relationships 
could easily be ported to another company. And it could create bidding wars where someone like me is an example who has deep, long-standing, decades-long relationships with people could end up being swayed away to another company on the hopes that that individual would be able to bring their quote-unquote book of business with them someplace else. And there's nothing anyone could do about it. So I wonder what that's going to mean. And I wonder what it's going to mean for these corporations and for individual companies who now don't have any way of trying to maintain that business for a number of years while someone goes from place to place. I don't know, it's it's an interesting topic. And I'll be just personally, because I signed it on compete when I came to work here. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, what it's going to be, I'm sure Doug had to sign one as well. We both just recently changed jobs. So it's going to, it's going to have big ramifications for our business. It does seem like that's been a pretty industry standard as well as in some other industries. I don't know the ins and outs, but there are definitely tech company type non-compete situations and lawsuits and along with that. Um, It's interesting. I'll want to keep an eye and follow this case as it goes to the Supreme Court, because you're right, that would have a pretty large impact um, in the near term, potentially good for workers with relationships. Um, Maybe pay goes up a little bit. Uh, Another thought that comes to mind is, are companies going to shift their strategies and move away from sort of an account executive account based management sales system and go more for incentivizing people to bring on new customers, but then you're no longer the one talking to that customer that's operations, that's someone else and try to change up the sales organization a little bit if this is going to be a new change. Yeah. It's always important to have multiple people and multiple levels engage with a client. And that's that's the corporation's detriment when you don't do that. So hopefully this will get people thinking more intelligently about how they relate to their clients. All right. Good story. So yeah, we'll that, definitely watch it. We, we get to halftime, which is Doug's favorite part, and he's not here. So I can say it is not my favorite <laughs> part of the show. Uh, halftime brought to you by uh, people put on our show, Cap Logistics, the good people at Cap Logistics. To learn more, you can learn more about them at caplogistics.com. We thank them for um, funding the show this week and every week. If you are a frequent listener, frequent watcher, if you watch it on YouTube, listener, if you listen to it on the podcast, please do um, check us out. Check out uh, Cap Logistics at caplogistics.com. They pay Keenan's salary. And they it's do. a simple life up in the mountains without energy or electricity or running water, eating pine tar and, and, uh, and bark drinking, investing my income in chickens and chicken feed. That's right. Hey, listen, man, the end's coming. So, you know, so that, uh, yes, please check them out at caplogistics.com. So Keenan, you can go first. What do you have this week for, for us at halftime? Speaking of the end coming, I am prepared for halftime this week with a story about an incoming comet that has not been uh, nearby in our solar system for about 50,000 years. So that's a lot of history where we were in Stone Age type uh, civilizations back 50,000 years ago. Um, But I'm always someone who likes to watch, you know, cool moon eclipses and different things going on and i never know about them uh, ahead of time enough so i want to do my public service announcement duty to all of you listeners and watchers that check it out this month kind of coming up throughout january and into february we're going to be seeing um a green colored comet it should be visible with the the naked eye but especially if you, if you have a telescope or a set of binoculars and you know, as an armchair astronomer, I like to watch this stuff. Uh, it's enjoyable. Oh, yeah. I like to use it as a reason to learn what's going on. Um, 
one of the things that I think scientists have been incorporating more and more now. We used to think comets were what was called the icy rocky theory, something more eloquent than that, but it was just like a big icy thing and it would heat up with the sun and that's why it would melt and make its tail. Uh, seems to be more common or recent understandings now that we've had some missions land on some comets and different things. They seem to be more rocky. There's not a lot of ice on them from what we've seen. And so the tails are ions like plasma discharges as something that's been hanging out really far away from the sun picks up the charge of being way out there. And as it comes in close, that charge differential kind of makes it glow and it throws off those ions. So it's not melting ice, it's electrical charge difference. You know, as you move a magnet next to a copper coil, right, there's electrical phenomenon there. It's similar with a comet hanging out in deep space coming closer to our sun. Uh, there's some electromagnetic forces there, which is also cool to learn about and uh, visualize when you see a bright green object in the sky. Yeah, so this is coming for me on this show, Keenan. God, you're a nerd. Um, <laughs> That's uh, true. So, so, so as soon as you sent this Prefer to me, the term geek, less derogatory. <laughs> okay. Amen. Uh, I love it. I, I do love it. And I, I'll be looking at it too. But what the first thing I thought of was what sort of, of um, you know, dystopian awful thing does this is it is it a is it actually just this comet that's going to change course all of a sudden and, and it comet there's vampires on it or is it going to radiate and like what sort of awful thing walking dead right like you brain eaters so you know as soon as i saw green comet coming i just i went straight to armageddon um i got pretty yep. excited this just seems like a I comic mean, book uh speaking of geeks comic book plot come to life i was I was pretty fired up. Speaking of geeks and etymology, the term disaster literally means in Latin bad star. And so, you know, in times past when we didn't have as much scientific understanding of space, there would be a lot of, oh, we have this comet. It's a bad omen. People are going to die or we're going to win this battle, those sorts of things. Um, not expecting any big fireworks, though, uh, if you were to get out there, I know a lot of people have been watching the Netflix Graham Hancock ancient apocalypse yeah. type ideas. Uh, yeah. And so I don't think this comet would have been associated with the younger Dryas about 12,000 years ago. But that's kind of their theory is that there is this 12,000 uh, or more type cycle of a comet where it's not the main comet that hits us, but maybe parts of the comet that had broken off and maybe that hit a bunch of glaciers and melted it all rapidly and changed uh, things from the Ice Age to the the uh, type of climate we know and love here. So, you know, maybe it's entirely possible, as Joe Rogan might say. Yeah, true. Joe used to say a lot more fun stuff than that back in the day. Um, <laughs> so, so oldest daughter and I were having a conversation yesterday. It's funny you said disaster and you talked about the etymology, but I... I really love this this trend now to say misinformation, and I'm I'm challenging everyone to say stop. Nope, it's, nope, lie. It's a lie. Misinformation is a lie. We call it a lie. Oh, oh, it's just misinformation. No, it's not. It's trick fuckery, most foul. It's a lie. It's 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 counter espionage. It's just it's a it's a lie. We're gonna call it what it is. It's it's horse pucky. So let's just get down to saying the truth, okay? Oh, well, this this person using this information is it, hmm? if it's not right, then it's wrong. And if you're saying things that are wrong and you're doing it on purpose, 
then you're lying. That's a lie. Liar, liar pants. So uh, my halftime is a little more, I guess it's a little more bubbly. Um, I've been looking a lot at the fashion the kids today wear uh, in Keenan. Someone needs to tell them that when we dressed that way in the 1980s, it looked stupid. And uh, they, look, they look stupid too. So I wish Doug were here to whip out a picture of him and his Ronnie James Dio um, three-quarter sleeve baseball shirt um, with his acid wash jeans and his Adidas high tops with his laces undone. I guarantee you he had clothes like that. And his Velcro wallet. Um, they This trend that everybody has to dress like we dressed back then is uh ridiculous so i don't understand i saw some kids on um some tv news show the other day that were skiing in new hampshire and they were dressed in throwback 80s gear but they were standing next to kids in today's snowboarding gear it didn't look that different man like it, <laughs> it, it, it kind of looked like they were dressed like my friends and i dressed when we would go skiing in the 1980s and somebody needs to tell them that our drugs weren't as strong. Um, our music was much better, but we at <laughs> yes. least had the sense not to dress that way, man. So someone needs to sit these kids down and it's my generation. It's, it's my, it's all the Gen Xers. We need to sit our kids down and say to them, roll up a newspaper, smack them on the nose and say, no, no, because this has to stop. <laughs> So that's that's my halftime today, Keenan. Someone's got to sit these kids down. Good luck if you could break through to them. It may be a sort of rebellious. If you don't want them to, they may do it even more. And that's funny you mentioned the the ski outfits because uh, there's usually you know some spring parties at the end of the year, Gaper Day type things where everyone does dress up, and a lot of it has historically kind of gone back '80s style. But now it's just going to be Gaper Day all day, every day, the whole snowboarding season, huh? Well, the thing Keenan, is like, um, I'm not going to say generally, but usually the, the younger ladies are going to look better, right? So th those outfits look pretty darn good on the ladies in the eighties, but just mm -hmm. take a random sample. Just take a random sample of what young men look like in between 1983 and 1988. One word's going to come to mind, unscrewable. OK, every single <laughs> one of us. And here you are all running around like um, you used to look real super cute if you were a girl back in the 80s. But the guys, we looked stupid mullets and, you know, skin tight jeans with with our with our Reeboks on and, and just dumb, dumb. So why are we doing this to ourselves? You're just you're making it you're making it hard, man. You're making it really difficult. Just save yourself. They'd be better off if they listened to your wisdom. They might not in the spirit of rebellion, but uh, to use some of the kids' lingo these days, if you want to break through to them in their own language, you could call their outfit chuggy or cringe. That would be the insult du jour. How about just dumb, stupid? You look, <laughs> you look stupid, kids. All right, Keenan, what's your Fair second enough. topic, buddy? Yeah, second topic uh, was a little bit of a surprise to me, and I don't know if I know the whole story, um, but China is signaling a surge in oil demand with a 20% increase in refiner oil output quotas, import quotas. And so, you know, from the little I've been watching, I stay somewhat up to date on 
geopolitics or international economics. Uh, China's not been in a great spot lately. You know, they've been having a lot of troubles. So it's been interesting to see that while we've had some oil prices come down a little bit lately, now we're in winter and, and that's somewhat to be expected, but it's been kind of a rough uh, time for oil prices generally. We are going into maybe slow down recession type stuff more and more this year than we've already seen, but it looks like China is expecting to need more oil. So without knowing all the details, I think this is another sign of what was already kind of on the horizon that we're going to be seeing higher oil prices this year. Um, have you been following this any closer or what are your initial takes on this type of news? I have been watching it and there's a few things that are a little bit counterintuitive. So number one is okay. China has been getting more and more engaged in the refining process. So that's got something to do with it. So there will be higher desires to purchase raw material for refine and then export. So I think that's got something to do with it. Second of all, they're purchasing with the intent to see an upswing the Chinese believe that the economy is going to get better faster than just about any other economy in the world. And, oh. and they're, they're betting on it. So if you, if you look at, as an example, their, um, their initial response to their real estate, uh, they're just going to let it fall and hopefully come back. If you're looking at their whole geopolitical answer towards their relationship with the United States, it's starting to cool down or, or warm up a little bit. Uh, they're, they're banking on a faster recovery and they see their opportunity to resell, hold and manage a little bit better than everyone else's. There's also some arguments that Russia only has so much they can sell. They have not been able to live up to orders as well as people thought that they could. So hmm. no, there's going to be consumption, man. And it may not be what people thought, thought it could be. So there could be something more nefarious with, um, Overloaded capacity, overloaded purchasing, which could be stockpiling for a possible military end use. Oh. There are folks that are concerned that China is purchasing significant portions of, of this for a possible – I mean, you could do the math, right? Is it something for a Taiwanese invasion? Could it be for um, military expansion west? You can let your mind roam. I, I'm not nearly paranoid enough to spend the time to search the corners of the web to worry about it. But at a time when people are worried about energy, maybe that's the direction this is going. Um, so stay tuned for something like that, Keenan. It could very well be exactly what is happening. Very interesting insights. I hadn't been following the um, growing refining industry in China, but it makes sense for what they do with uh, valuing that into all sorts of other products, but then, yeah, whether for actual skirmishes or invasion or the ability to bluff or negotiate as if they are ready to do such a thing. Uh, I hope yeah. we don't see large scale conflicts, obviously, though uh, it's good to keep an eye on. Don't necessarily need to be paranoid to try to keep tabs of the risks and potentials out there. Being prepared for it's a big part of it, right? That's right. So, yeah. All right. All right. So uh, last topic, this one got my attention. Um, people are, when they're building, they're building down um, in certain parts of the world. And, and this just takes a little bit of imagination. They're actually building below ground, in particular for warehousing. So all over the world, in places where um, real estate is actually quite expensive and where the ground is amenable to it, why not build down below. So imagine a parking garage, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Many parking garages, particularly in urban spaces, will go well below the surface of the city. 
Same thing can be done for e-commerce warehouses. The same thing can be done for warehouses, period. So there's a new idea out there that we should be building below ground. And there's been a lot of advancements to architectural technology and to building technology that apparently allow this to be easier than before. Hmm. The hard part is understanding whether or not you're digging in a place and whether or not you're building in a place right off the bat that probably is going to give you the results that you want right off the start. But honestly, Keenan, um, you know, the places where our business thrives, most of it's already been built up. Most of it, um, there's already vast, expansive, multi-million square foot facilities. So the idea of being able to build below that, that's interesting. And I'll be fascinated to see what happens next with it. Yeah, especially in the areas where um, you're closer to a lot of people, right? I imagine these warehouses are probably going to want to be closer to areas of distribution and where it's coming in, where it's going out, because you could have something out in the middle of nowhere and build above, but... If you're going to be doing a lot of throughput, you might want to be closer to the action and there's high prices of real estate. So going underground could be interesting. Have you seen any specific tech with it? Is it just better ground penetrating radar? Or how are we able to do this so much better than we would have 20, 30 years ago? The inexpensiveness of building and tunneling. It's it hmm. just got excavating has gotten cheaper. And I think that has a lot to do with the tunnel work that good old Elon's doing. So yep. I'll, I'll be watching this one pretty closely. I also want to know more about the, how the law works because Elon really did. I mean, he said, who says I can't dig underneath this? Who says I can't build a warehouse underneath your warehouse if it's deep enough? When does this get weird, man? Like when can someone just build a, a 25 million square foot warehouse underneath the city and don't, doesn't have to ask permission if he was there first? It's a whole new meaning to the phrase undercutting the competition. Yeah. hey or if you're a fan of, of uh, late 90s movies, I Drink Your Milkshake, right? I mean, that was That's the right. Point. You know, he, uh, he drilled underneath everybody else's land and took all their oil. Well, mm -hmm. what if you were able to build entire storage facilities for e-commerce under other people's? It's, it's a fascinating question. I'm sure it's not cheap enough now where it's going to be a concern, but at some point it will be. Yeah, interesting. You know, a lot of property rights have ownership of the airways above them to a certain degree. Uh, and yeah. I wonder if that could apply below a building to a certain degree, you know, just like with the FAA overriding that and the planes allowed to go over your property, yeah. maybe something like a, a, a regulated transportation system, boring style tunnel may be allowed, but interesting to see that we might be seeing more underground facilities. Also beneficial if there is an end of the world disaster. So um, oh, also geez. good news there. Yeah, with the comet coming, right? <laughs> yeah, bring your chickens. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, I brought us in. So you bring us out, buddy. Awesome. Well, feel like we had some great topics today. Thank you for the insightful and engaging discussion as always. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in on your favorite uh, podcast app or here on YouTube in video form. Thanks for joining us. And we'll be back again next week to cover more global trade this week. Thanks, Pete. See ya. Good job. Man.